Uh, this is a message for Corey and Dave of Lords of Grantham uh, from an anonymous Lords of Grantham fan. And um, hi, this is Lily James, a.k.a. Uh, Lady Rose. Um, and uh, they, the Lords of Grantham fan, they just want you to know how wonderful you are at keeping the fan community alive, how much they love your podcast, even during the pandemic. And you are loved so much. And they want to give you a big thank you and kiss, kisses and hugs that they deserve, that you guys deserve after so many years of being there for us, for the community. Um, your podcast sounds really cool. Um, I'm also a big fan of Poldark, The Crown and Bridgerton, um, and Downton Abbey, of course. Um, so amazing work. Uh, incredible that you're, you know, spreading the love, keeping the community strong. Um, I had the time of my life making Downton Abbey. Um, it was so fun. I was actually just out with Lady Edith the other night. Uh, see Lady Mary regularly. Um, and uh, so, actually, we all saw each other most recently at someone's birthday party. But um, it was such a special time for all of us and such a kind of anomaly, anomaly and such a sort of how the show took flight and we all became like a big family and... Um, I still have so many people come up to me and talk about Naughty Lady Rose, um, the flighty cousin. Um, and I'm hoping I'm going to be back in one of the movies one day soon. But, um, so yeah, sending love. What a lovely message. Um, you're clearly very beloved by your fans and keep at it. And, uh, sending loads of love from Lady Rose. Bye. Previously on Poldark, Ross tracked down Ned Despard's personal secretary from Honduras, a fellow named Bannantyne, and with his testimony, they cleared Ned's name in the public's eye. So all seemed to be going well until Bannantyne wound up drowned. And there's a whole mess of other things going on, so let's dive right into it, as well as whatever that was in the beginning of the episode, this week on the Lord of Grantham podcast. We're back again with, with what a what a way for us to start our podcast. What a way for us to start our week. And, you know, we're still in February. So what a way for us to kind of start our, our fifth year. I mean, it's February 28th. By the time people are hearing this, it's, it's March. But yeah, it'll be it'll be it'll be March. We are well into our, all eyes and peace. our fifth year, as you're saying, Dave. We're in Q1 to use business. Yes. Phrase. Uh, but. You you heard it mm-hmm. in the beginning of the podcast. Some anonymous Lord of Grantham fans went and donated some money to a very good cause, and by proxy got us a very generous cameo from the one, the only Lily James, cousin Rose. Yeah, it was for a good cause for the earthquake in Syria and Turkey, uh, two hundred fifty dollars. And they won't tell on themselves, but they wrote a message for her to congratulate us on a happy five years, as you just heard. And it was. I was really taken aback. It's it's really sweet. It's a really sweet gesture. And Dave, we should do something about that. I think I think the only thing that well, not the only thing. There's many number of things that we can do. Thing one is say thank you very much. I think we need to match that donation. The Lord yeah. of Grantham. We are gonna return the favor mm-hmm. because it was such a generous thing to do to help such a worthy cause right now that we are going to. Put our money where our mouth is, and we're gonna donate 
between the two of us, the same amount as that cameo was, the nice gift to us, we're going to donate that to the relief funds for those suffering after that terrible series of earthquakes. Understandably, yeah. Definitely it's something we got to do. And by the same token, we'll send Lily James a cameo as well, a TBD to see if she'll receive it or you can look at it. We'll send her a video of us. <laughs> yeah, like, hey, big fans. I should, I, sh- I should read this message that they sent to us. Now, whoever made this, uh, sent us this cameo made a dummy email address. Wow. L-O-G-Fan-Anon Ooh. at gmail.com. Hello, Corey and Dave. Lily James has a message for you. Thank you for all of your wonderful work on the podcast for the past five years. This cameo was a wonderful opportunity to both donate to the earthquake relief and also let you know that you are awesome with a heart emoji. Please feel free to post this cameo to the whole world for everyone to enjoy. So I will say, deducing from the number of heart emojis here, this was probably a female who sent this to us. But I don't know. I don't want to be too presumptive. You never know. If it was you and I, I responded to the email, I said, whoever this is, if you're not one of our Patreon patrons... Let us know because you get lifetime golden access to our Patreon. If you are, you know, you can get our come to our, our the dial. Lord's Grantham Lounge is is hopping. You know, everyone's chatting about this kind of stuff. So, if it's you, thank you. If whoever it is, thank you. Yes, thank you and so much. While we're rolling with the good news today, our friends at Highclere Castle Gin. Posted the cocktail that I came up with yeah. for our, our, in our interview with Adam Von Gukin. Our Lords of Grantham gin, or as they called it, Lord, Lord Grantham gin. So The Lord Grantham. And I was thinking, there is that episode of Downton Abbey where the, they serve cocktails at Downton and the Dowager is like, I don't want, I'm, you know, it's too early for me to drink something like that. And I'm just going to assume that the Lord Grantham is what Lord Grantham, Robert <laughs> Crawley, has in his cup at that time. So... Those those folks take it very seriously. I know we talked about our interview after, and we talked about it a little bit on Patreon, but that, one of the reasons why I even suggested this cocktail to them was because I knew how serious they are when they do their PR moves for their cocktails. Yeah. They post these beautiful pictures, videos, music, and I said, there's a chance. There's just a little t- teeny tiny chance they're going to share this, and holy guacamole, it's good. It looks great. And it's them wishing us a happy fifth anniversary as well. So, yeah, thank you to them. Um, now, Dave, have I tried this uh, concoction that you've made? You have not. And truth be told, I have not had it in the form that I want to have. <laughs> What's the form you want to have it? So I said when, when tweaking my recipe, I knew that limeade would be good, but all I had was Newman's own laminade. So I know where the flavor profile will be with the switch and the texture base, mm-hmm. but I did not actually get to do it that way. So I think perhaps we'll have to do a proper five-year celebration in the next several months. Absolutely. And drink that and enjoy it. And maybe, maybe we'll... I don't think it'll look as good as theirs. And we'll it won't have it a better. blackberry garnish. We'll make it look better. Yeah. We'll make it... Put it in a Jimmy Buffett Margaritaville glass. That's what we'll put do it in a funnel it for me. It's going to go down the hatch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. But aside from all this news about how how cool we are, is there any news in the world of the the shows that we have consumed? No, uh, it seems like they all stepped aside for us this week for our anniversary. So no, there's nothing to report on with uh, Pole Dark or The Crown or Down Abbey or Guild Age or what have you. All right, <laughs> there you go. Well, I mean, we spend enough time talking about ourselves, patting ourselves on the back. It's only fair. Yeah. 
I mean, the next step up is we just need a cameo from Julian Fellows, right? I mean... A cameo? I think, as much as I love cameo, I think we need a genuine one-on-one with Julian Fellows. Oh, it looks like, though, there is another chapter of Belgravia coming. So, there's that. Ooh, we never watched that first one. That might be fun. Yeah, something to keep in mind. Yeah, leading into that second... Hey, perhaps, perhaps. But Poldark is where we're at right now, and it is Season 5... Episode three. Yeah, we're putting it in high gear mm-hmm. this week. There's a lot going on this week, man. <laughs> uh, and and uh, we got to say right out the gate, last week we said it's been too long since we've seen those waves crashing on the cliffs. There we are again at the start of it. We're home. You know you're home mm-hmm. when that happens. The waves are crashing and. and Ross and Demelza are walking alongside the coast right there, just taking it all in. And it's just, the you know, we've seen this scene a million times uh, at this point in the show where she's asking, why do you smile? And he's like, well, why do you? And then they're just like, humana, humana. And then they're just all happy. And by the end of this episode, a lot of drama will have happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, this show does really like setting the table with something we've seen a million times for a show where the episodes are 58 minutes you know in the writer's room they're like we can clean a minute if it's just Ross and Demelza hanging out by the beach waves <laughs> keep it simple don't overthink this London's far away as I say yes thank god so where do we want to start with this episode there's a lot of branching paths they all kind of tie together at certain points too That's true. That's true. Uh, I think we can talk briefly about what's going on with Drake and Morwenna. Sure. Which kind of ties into... There's a whole child labor subplot going on in this episode where where Jacka Hoblin, who, if we'll recall, his daughter... Mm -hmm was uh, left at the altar by Drake last season, which I totally forgot about until about halfway through the episode. I was like, oh, that's the Oh, you didn't recognize her? Yep, that's her. I recognized her, but there's so many, like, young women in this show, I just sometimes forget who some of the tertiary ones are. Now that I know. Well, in this episode especially is a big reminder of who these women are. Mm -hmm. Between Tess and Cecily and Rosina and Demelza, they're all, they're throwing a lot at us. But Rosina, her little brother, is 12. Mm-hmm. Arthur. And Jacko wants him to go to work in the mine. And Ross says he can do above ground work, but he can't do below ground work. We don't let, let anyone under 14 underground. Because it makes such a huge change in the, their development when they're not a 14-year-old going down there. Yeah, I was gonna say usually Ross has this the strange 21st century woke ethics, but he's like not 12 to 14. Mm-hmm. Once you got a little pit hair, you can come work for me. That's all. Yeah, lift those arms up, and if there's a little sprig, you're going down. But if you if none, you're working above That's exactly ground. Exactly how he handles it. And Jack is like, bro, we need money. Look at me. I've got like a twenty year old, and I've got a little boy. I'm hungry. I <laughs> I gotta eat, and I'm going to eat his leg <laughs> soon. He did not say that. <laughs> Um, but Ross holds firm. He's like, they can do above ground work, but he can't go down below in the mind. So Jack is like, well, we'll just take our business elsewhere probably because you ain't helping us. He says, take you to the 
Take you to War Leg and Mine. They'll pay. The wheel plenty. And Ross is like, sure, dude. That's that's on you, man. That's not on me. Yeah. And we see these kids. Mm-hmm. There's also a scene where Drake has two little children that are his apprentices that also look like they're 12 years old. Yeah. And Marwen is like, are you paying these kids? And Drake says, they just come and stand around all day. I kind of have to pay them a little bit. You're doing something. Um, are we just going to go through this whole plot here with the mine and everything? Uh, I mean, we can go through. it does through. resolve itself in the middle of the episode, surprisingly. I, you know, I pause the, the episode to think, like, oh, that's the end of it probably soon. And then it's like, no, there's another 20 minutes to go. <laughs> no, there's like another 20 minutes in this episode. This is a strangely paced episode. Yeah. So, so, as you said, there, there's the focus on the children. And at one point, uh, we see Demelza hanging out with the kids. And her son says, Mommy, can I read to you? And she's like, yeah. Uh, her, her daughter is a little annoyed that she doesn't get to read. And they're like, why not Tommy? Well, I don't think Tommy can read. And then there's this whole thing of like, oh, we need to educate the children. But if you look at, I think his name is Tommy. Tommy's like a, a top. Yeah, he looks like he's barely three or four. Why are they so concerned with this? whether this kid can read? It becomes this whole subplot. And it's like, I don't think the kid has the capability to learn how to read just yet. It, what is going on? Yeah, this is like, this is stolen valor from actual kids who can't read. <laughs> the toddler trying to lead the charge for illiterate kids. It's not fair for all the kids who really can't read. I wholeheartedly agree. Um, but yeah, you know, Demelza makes the announcement that children who, you know, they can get the afternoons of Saturday off so they can get some education. Which... Mm-hmm. Teach them to read and write. Absolutely. And, and upsets the, the, the adults. They're like, no, we want them working. <laughs> yeah, like, what does Jack... He's like, dude, I'm going to eat his leg. He didn't say that. He needs to make... <laughs> but it's... And, and the thing is, Demel's is like, they're getting paid still, too. Yeah. So We're going to pay them for the full day and we're going to teach them to read for half a day on Saturday. It's like some... And Jack is like, no. It's like some resentment he's harboring uh, for for his kids. You know, maybe having the opportunity to learn something. Maybe I I don't know. Mm-hmm. But it's happening, and we see that mm-hmm. Morwenna is kind of teaching reading books to them and giving the kids cake. And there's that classic moment of she's got two or three kids that are in there, including Rosina is in there at one yeah, point. She's hanging around with her little one or her little brother, mm-hmm. and. Which is crazy in and of itself that Rosina is even in Morwenna's house. Yeah, after all of that. And they open up the door, and there's a whole little line of kids who want cake and food and uh, and reading and books, stories. Who knew? What a concept. Meanwhile, little Tommy can't learn anything because he's not old enough to learn how to read. <laughs> kidding, kidding. Um, it's, but, I mean, the little Tommy's there. He, he knows what cake is, either way. Um, so yeah, He knows how to... To talk, at least. <laughs> he, he can speak for himself. Uh, but yeah, there, there's, uh, they're doing, going about this, but there's an event at the mine all of a sudden one day. Yeah, we owe plenty. There's a cave-in. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, Jack, Jack is boy, whatever the little boy's name is, is in the mine. Yeah. Uh, and he's he's afraid he's, he's dead. He's really beside himself like... He chose poorly. He sent his kid down there. He shouldn't have. And now this is what he's, he's got to reap what he sows here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, they send a message to uh, Uncle Carrie about this. 
he, he's just like, there's nothing that can be done. Like Ross goes to visit him, actually, Uncle Carrie. Like, hey, your 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 mind is collapsing, bro. <laughs> Are you going to go and do nothing? Yeah. Carrie's like, nah. What what can I do? Exactly. And so they just they devise a whole rescue plan that they have a tunnel that can lead up into there that they can blow up to to get in there. Um, Ned Despard mm-hmm. is especially especially like, let's do this. Let's get to blowing up stuff. I'm ready to play. And multiple times this episode, too, there's explosions going off in the background. And they're like, oh, they're, they're just getting back to work. And it's really just Ned blowing things up there in the mine real good. He's just like Sid from Toy Story, just sitting in his backyard blowing things up. Like, oh, He's like a Looney Tunes character. Some, some ore. He just carries around dynamite sticks everywhere he goes to blow stuff up. <laughs> Ned Despard. Yeah, he doesn't listen to anybody. No. <laughs> and, and so they go on this rescue attempt, and there's this chasm they have to you know get across because that's where the people are staying and they're like what do we do here so ned then just leaps and then barely makes it he's hanging by by a thread there um and then ross is like i'm gonna do this as well and he does like a jedi leap (laughs) he goes like 20 feet and then ned is like i i knew you wouldn't come unless i did this like what What kind of logic is that um so yeah ross saves ned there and then they save a bunch of people, which I couldn't figure out. If they couldn't get across there, how do they carry the people over that that chasm? Do they just throw them? They show it. They show them. They put the the little like gurney on the oh. the two poles. Gotcha. Or the two two by fours. Right, right. They make something up, which is what they should have done in the first place: is go to wherever you need to go to get mm-hmm. this these planks mm-hmm. to get this first aid equipment, and then do that. Dead. I mean, you were onto it last week, but truly, he's a maniac. Loose cannon. Mm-hmm. They save the people. Arthur, one of the children, is saved. They'd been in there like two or three days at that point. So, all the more power to them. Yeah, and some of them have lost limbs. There's blood everywhere this episode. It's pretty gross. Yeah. Pretty foul but stuff. hero, Ross. And Ross, must be noted, comes out looking pretty clean from that mine after saving all those people. Not a lick of dirt on his face. White teeth, beautiful white teeth. <laughs> I mean, I don't see how dirt will get in his teeth. I don't know. I just, I'm just thinking maybe he washed his face in uh, Drake Carnes' well or something like that before showing up with a child. Like, gotta, gotta look good for the camera. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so and I mean that is that entire subplot that takes up a lot of this episode of them just trying to care for the people, and uh, get them on the right track. Yeah, and we see that Dwight is is not so thrilled about this. That everyone's sort of congratulating themselves for this feat. They saved fourteen people, mm-hmm. which is uh, by their numbers about half of the people that were in the mine, mm-hmm. but. Dwight is afraid that Ned is is flying too close to the sun, and if he keeps setting a bad example, Ross is going to keep following, and we might have an issue on our hands. Yeah, that that's entirely fair. I mean, he he is a he's a loose cannon. It's almost like children, though. It's like Ross is his own man. Don't worry too much about him. But then again, Ross is also quick to put his hand on the trigger. So, yeah. Well, speaking of. Hand, too, too quick to have your hand on the trigger. Mm-hmm. You think we should talk about George? Yeah, I mean, this is actually probably the biggest thing of the episode, but dude is losing his mind. He's <laughs> he's losing his sight. 
<laughs> I don't know the next lyric that goes there. He, wish, he wishes someone would tell him he's fine. And so, yeah, cut his life into pieces. <laughs> this is Uncle Carrie's last resort. Well, I mean, this is a, this is, there's a lot of last resorts here for George. Mm-hmm. George is talking to Uncle Carrie, and he sees that he sees Ross and Elizabeth, and Ross is kind of like, What's going on with you, man? Well, isn't there a scene before that, too, where they're at the table? And, uh... Oh, yeah, with Valentine. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, oh, come with me, Elizabeth. We, 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 we gotta go do something. And then Carrie's like, get in here, help. And then they just yeah, get pull in. him away. <laughs> and he's like, why are you grabbing me by my arm? Yeah. Also, Valentine is the most well-behaved little boy in this scene. Because if my one of my parents was was talking to someone who wasn't there i wouldn't have the the wherewithal to be like what are you doing mom or dad I've been being forcibly restrained <laughs> like okay <laughs> to be fair though george is saying that he, he you know mother would be aggrieved to learn you're shirking your studies so he you know maybe valentine is just a little bit of a, a space cadet he's not studying he's not paying attention to anything he's a little like his real father he has he's tunnel vision yeah exactly uh, so yeah, as you said, George is apprehended to his room where he's he's pent up in bed, and Uncle Carrie comes to visit him, to because uh, Ra- Raph Hansen uh, keeps coming through, and he's like, "What's going on with this deal? I need to make some progress. We need to sign some things." And George ain't about that life right now. <laughs> no, he thinks it's Ross and Elizabeth talking. And the man sleeps with a gun under his pillow. I, I don't endorse that, but you know if you're if you're George and you're that upset about a man like Ross coming into your household, sure, I, I get that. Well, he's got doesn't have Tom and Harry Harry around anymore to help no. do his bidding. <laughs> it's kind of funny because Uncle Carrie the whole time is like, "Calm down, just put the gun away, just do it." And then all George hears is just Ross goading him into like, "Yeah, I'm going to hook up with your wife." Again, in front of you, bro. <laughs> Look at this. Nicholas Watch, bro. And then pop, pop. <laughs> I thought I, I thought this was it for Uncle Carrie. Oh, my God. I thought he killed him point blank. But we don't see the bullet break anything. Is it just like a misfire? No, because there's actual dust that gets on Carrie. It's just maybe it hits into the wood somehow. Yeah, maybe. It's so strange. But he misses. Thank God. <laughs> yeah, no. Carrie is carrying a lot. Uncle Carrie is carrying a lot right now. Both the show and mm-hmm. in the plot here. Um, really enjoying Yeah, Pip they really toys. elevated Pip. Like, he went from the side character to now he's like the main, main dude in the Warligan family. Yeah. And so he goes downstairs and Hanson's like, did I hear a gunshot? Oh, no, that was just uh, <laughs> Aurora Borealis. This is the gamekeeper. Yeah. <laughs> Don't mind that. <laughs> oh, at this time of year? <laughs> yes. Uh, so <laughs> Hanson gets out of there. I kept wondering, like, is George just going to wander downstairs and Hanson be like, what? what is going on? <laughs> oh, yeah, I thought that's what it was setting up for. Mm-hmm. So there's this uh, event that is, I think it's for uh, Dwight. To coordinate mm-hmm. him becoming like an official doctor or something like that, like that, right? Yeah, at the hospital of mm. of Cornwall, and and because he's a little down on himself because he says if he takes this high paid position, he can't just be like a debutante's husband, and 
you know, serve the poor people for no money. He has to do what this hospital is telling him. But Caroline's like, this is life. Such is life, Dwight. Right. And that's the only interaction we really get between Dwight and Caroline this, this episode. <laughs> they really mm-hmm. just kind of abandon whatever's going on with the two of them until probably they announce some baby down the line or something. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. So he's taking this position. So all the d- dignitaries, they come through. And that includes uh, his old nemesis, uh, Primrose. Penrose, Dr. Penrose. Penrose, yeah. And Uncle Kerry sees fit to not consult with the guy who's, you know, becoming this doctor of this hospital, but to talk to Penrose about his troubles. Mm hmm. Is this his old nemesis? Because I don't see he's listed in the prior Down episode, or not Down, Poldark episode. No, I think he's just another individual in this field. Who doesn't know any better. Yeah. He's not Dr. Choke. Right. Uh,. But yeah, not very well versed in the right things to do. Because yeah, that's who I was getting confused with was Dr. Choke. And the guy is just full of the same prescriptions that Dr. Choke had for everyone. Leeches, strapping him down. We keep saying he's possessed with an animal spirit. I mean, that happens. George. So basically, to, to skip ahead a little bit, Carrie recruits Penrose mm-hmm. to treat George's visions and uh, homicidal tendencies. I mean, have you ever been overrun by an animal spirit, Dave? Yes. <laughs> when the moon turns blue, people, watch out. Mm-hmm. So they really take it to George. He is put through the ringer here. <laughs> yeah, leeches. He's got all these scars on him. They're they're submerging him in cold water. <laughs> this is not a good week for George. No, no. They're t- they strap him down to the bed. This is like after like a, a rough weekend in the Catskills, and I need to get clean. <laughs> Just <laughs> put me through the paces there. Uh, the ice bucket challenge. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And in the meanwhile, while this is happening, old Bessie, the maid, mm-hmm. totally loses track of Valentine. Valentine is just a boy who governs himself at this point. So Tommy is a little two two year old who can't read. Yep. Valentine's like a four year old who just can wander around town and just let his hair grow wild. It just keeps growing and growing. Um, yeah, like 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 his daddy. But Bessie must be getting paid great to just let the boy walk around, you know, just not not get fired for insane. it. Insane. I mean, it's incredible. Um, so yeah, Valentine's just walking around wild while his dad is being uh, just. And even Uncle Carrie is not even checking in on any of this either. And, and yeah, his dad is just getting harassed and yeah, just abused basically by Penrose. And you think George is down for the count, but he. He finds a way out at one point. Yeah, because uh, yeah, what happens is, so after this mine incident happens, we see that the gang finds Valentine in town and invites him over. Mm-hmm. As you do, hey and child, come same, on. Well, they don't know what's going oh, on with and George. We, we totally glossed over the fact that when Ross goes to visit Uncle Carrie to tell him about the mine, Valentine looks at him and smiles, and it's like, oh, this is. Weird. Valentine's like, what's up, Pop? <laughs> I know. It's just like, come on. You're his illegitimate child. Don't smile at him. It's like Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio. Absolutely. <laughs> but, yeah, as you said, he's he's dining, getting some cake with the rest of the children in the neighborhood. And he gets to, yeah, he gets to meet his little uh, Clowens and Jeremy Poldark. He gets to spend some time with them. Mm-hmm. 
and this sort of merriment going on after they saved these 14 lives. Yep. And like like Mr. Burns running out. I thought George is in his nightgown. I thought the same exact thing. This is like the X-Files episode of The Simpsons where, <laughs> where Mr. Burns is running around in his nightgown uh, out of his mind. With his hands like <laughs> out to the side like feather. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, all, all, I guess if you wear that kind of nightgown, I know. What else are you doing with your arms? I was just hoping like no one catches George because it's like, is, is he just not wearing pants under there? What, what's going on under there? No, he's definitely nothing. <laughs> nothing is under that. <laughs> he's just flapping all around. Uh, <laughs> but so yeah, he he pulls an old trick out of our, our period drama book and peeps through the window of the Poldark mm-hmm. home and sees uh, good old. Uh, Valentine in there and his family. Good old, good old his son. Yep. And he's uh, disappointed and frustrated and runs away, but Dwight spots him. Mm-hmm. And, he's, and he catches him up off by the cliff, and he's like, hey, man, are you wearing pants? <laughs> yeah, I can get you some yeah, pants. because George is at the side of the cliff saying, you know, no, nothing's all right. Nothing is fine. Dude, you think about that breeze I'm running that and I'm right crying. Whew. It's chilly. Oh, he must have been cold. <laughs> no, cold. They also did give him this ghostly makeup. This was, I thought, phenomenal direction in the show because they mm. do a really good job making George seem just lost. Yeah. And not out of touch. Like, he seems with it, but like a victim. Absolutely. Like, you actually kind of sympathize him just a, with him a, a little bit. And that scene with Dwight, too, it's like, you know, around like sunset or so, it really looks different uh, for, for that moment. Mm-hmm. But it's Dwight, you know, working his magic of like, you know, you're not broken forever, dude. You're just a little bit off because your wife died. Just yeah, yeah. And we see Penrose is definitely not in on that that thought process. Like, this isn't an insane person. This is a traumatized man who needs needs some help. Yeah, finding himself. And Dwight takes it upon himself to bring George back home. And tell Uncle Carrie, stop working with this guy. Leech's thing does not work. You're going to make him crazier if you keep doing this to him. Just give him some time to rest and just get his faculties together, bro. Mm-hmm. And we'll see if that works. We'll see if that works. And then we oh we did gloss we over another thing too with like um the children, by the way. Where we see Demelza walking with Kitty and the children are like, Oh, is that Trenwith? And Domelz tells him, tells the child, yeah, that was a Poldark home, and maybe it will again be one day. Foreshadowing, maybe. Well, Jeffrey Charles will take it over, hopefully. Yeah, we'll see about that. Let's talk about JC, GC. Then we, uh, I was about to say JC. Well, GC. I, I think we should wrap up Valentine, though. Okay. And, and I guess the end, this ties into the Jeffrey Charles' end, which is irrelevant to the rest of his episode. Yep. Ross comes back to the house with Valentine, and Uncle Carrie's like, Where'd you get him from? <laughs> we found him just walking around on the street. And he's like, hey, but where's Master George? He's like, oh, well, he's indisposed right now. And it's like, well, you know, with everything going on, maybe I think it would be great if Master George paid for Jeffrey Charles' school. <laughs> yeah, he, he shuts him down. Carrie's like, all right, boy. He pulls like a 50 out of his you pocket. You might be right. <laughs> there you go. Get out of here. But doesn't Jeffrey Charles live there? Sometimes, but you know like, he's got to make a way while he's serving in the military. So, you know he gets his his dollar mm-hmm. and, and skedaddles. Yeah, his whole story this week is just him. he's still 
smitten with Cecily. Yeah, I mean, listeners won't see this, but I just rolled my eyes hard at it. Like, everything about this is just, this guy still can't act that well. And all he's doing is just being smitten uh-huh. with this girl and hoping that, you know, Mr. Hansen doesn't get in the way of the two of them. And great. And we see that he's starting to catch wind of it. Mm-hmm. Hold on, I want to check one stat here. Okay. Because do we have these guys' ages? Jeffrey Charles? Because... There's the scene where Jeffrey Charles and Cecily roll up on the on the blacksmith's little bungalow that Drake Karn has going. And Jeffrey Charles looks older mm-hmm. than Drake at this point. Yeah, I think it's fair to say. <laughs> Honestly. Like, he looks at... Morwenna looks the same age as Cecily. Mm-hmm. And Jeffrey Charles looks like he's like two or three years older than Drake. And he looks like he would, would destroy Drake in a fight. You know, there's just something in the water uh, by Cornwall that's not in the water up in London. It just accelerated his aging. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, I, this is just poor casting. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, but wouldn't I mean, in that case, Drake would have been drinking the water in Cornwall as well. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. Maybe it's that London water. It's the alcohol. Yeah, just aging them. Either way, though, yeah, he's smitten with them. I think there's one instance where he comes in contact with Hanson at the party, but he doesn't really care to get to know this kid. And by the, yeah, they make a good. Cecily's about to get in trouble by by Dad for lying about where she's been, mm-hmm. but we don't see that on screen. And there's also the moment where Cecily says to Drake, looking at the portrait of Elizabeth, like, "Oh, would your mom have liked me?" It's a strong and question. And there's a nice little exchange where Jeffrey Charles is like, yeah, of course, you're you know, you're know, an independent thinker. She might not have loved that, but she would have loved you. I mean, what, what, other, what other answer do you have to that? No, my mom would have despised you. You're actually the kind of t- that she didn't like. <laughs> Let's move on. I don't like you either. <laughs> Get out of here. Um, yeah, that, that happens. Uh, but... Yeah, Jeffrey Charles, he's around. And, and, you know, he's happy to see Valentine. Like, hey, what, what are you doing here, brother? You're my brother, right? Yeah, we're brothers. <laughs> and he goes, "That's my, that's my little bro. How you doing, little bro? Can you read?" I really think they should have just stuck with one of the ch- children as like Jeffrey Charles through the seasons. It really would have gone a long way towards you know, I don't know, have a rooting interest in him. It's just harder to mm-hmm. gravitate towards someone who gets, keeps changing every single season. Yeah, at least kept the guy from the last season. I don't see any reason why they changed that guy. Yeah, especially when, like... Because he wasn't, like, a child. No, he's not that much different, he was, probably. He was out getting drunk. Right, he's not that different in age than this guy. Um, They should have kept the little boy from season three. He was the oh, best. Oh, my gosh. He nailed the character of Jeffrey Charles with just being a little piece of trash towards the adults. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, but no, keep making him older. Keep making him older than Drake. Yep. Of the other splintering plot lines from the show... uh. Tess is still working at the house. Still still bumping the road. And Drake's... She makes a real offhanded comment yeah. to her. She tells the Demelza, like, not all of us can marry our masters. Right. Uh, I mean, well, that comes after the scene where she's talking to Drake, where she's telling him, like... Mm-hmm. Uh, he's like, you shouldn't have done that. He pretty much assumes that she threw the fire or started that fire in the home. And she's like, I got nothing to be sorry for. I'm just doing what I got to do. You know, just this is a stepping stone to whatever I, I got to do. But as you said, the next scene, mm-hmm. she accuses Demelza of, you know, sleeping with 
Ross to get ahead. And Demel's is like, yeah, I did. What of it? And we see Kitty's like, I did too. What about it? You want to talk? You want to get into this? You want to throw it down with well, us? Well, they don't say that back to Tess. They, they say that to um, Morwenna afterwards who's, she, she, when she's like, she accused you of this. That doesn't offend you? No. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. They're just kind of running their mouths though. They're saying, we've done it. I, Who cares? I didn't really like that moment personally because I feel like it was a little bit of, and maybe this is just me misreading it, but it felt like a little bit of a betrayal of the Demelza character. When she fell for Ross mm-hmm. in the first season, I bought into them actually feeling something for each other and loving each other. There was never a hint to me that she was manipulating him in any sense that, you know, well, I know he's above me, so this will elevate me and stuff like that. And so to see her kind of flip and own it a little bit like this seems disingenuous to me. Like, I, I just don't buy that. Well, yeah, I don't know if I agree. I, I do think that, and I don't think you're wrong in your assumption that there was the the, the real feelings between the two of them and... Mm-hmm. and I think she's trying to own her narrative here that these people are going to throw these insults at her. Yeah. So she's going to own them. Sure. Yes, she did basically sleep her way to a better position in the world. Yeah. And Kitty says the same thing. For 14 days, she took care of Ned. Day 15, he invited her to stay and she never left. Yeah. So I I think that she might be acting a little defensively to try to make her relationship with Tess seem more natural. She's definitely forcing this relationship with Tess. Yeah, to try to make it like you know what she's she's misguided, but she's not wrong. And keep your enemies and it's like, close. Eh, well, she kind of know? is. Uh, but yeah, that 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 makes sense because like it, it's just I just don't want to undermine their actual love <laughs> of Ross and Demelza. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so yeah, Tess is just being a crank. Still, yeah, absolutely, and. I think that pretty much just re- leaves the the Ross of it all, right? Unless I'm forgetting something. Yeah, there's a brief interaction between Lady Whitworth and Morwenna, right? Because in in regards to John Conan, right? At the Dwight function, and, they they see Lady Whitworth is there, and I think they they apologize to Morwenna, like sorry, we didn't know she'd be here. And Morwenna's like, that's okay, I'm going to talk to her, and then she corners her nicer. It was really dramatic. Mm-hmm. That didn't happen. If only. <laughs> But she she does say like how's my child doing? Whitworth gives her the basics like he's he's well read he's smart, and and Morana has to ask does he ever ask me and she's like never we're never gonna acknowledge you to the child at all and well, that's that we can move on with our lives now with, from that whole Whitworth ordeal yeah well she just says I've abandoned my boy and and Lady Whitworth is like yep you did but she had to so it is what it is. Yeah, she didn't have a choice in the matter. And I I've, I could see her, this as a sort of seed-sowing subplot that maybe Lady Whitworth is just dead in a couple episodes and we get John Conan back, something like that. I could that. also just see this as the last we ever speak of it, too, just kind of move on. I could, uh, no, and people that have watched this show will know better. Mm-hmm. But maybe I'm, maybe I'm calling the shot too early, but what if Lady Whitworth dies? Okay. John Conan inherits all of the Whitworth wealth, and now Morwenna and Drake move into that. That would be that'd be wild. That that's some real soap opera stuff. Simple, right there. simple, simple story. Yep. It's like a late Mary and Matthew's child is technically the heir of Downton, and he, Lady Mary, is reaping the benefits of that, even though she's not the heir. That, that is true. That's true, Dave. I could see it. 
I'm going to call it now. I'm going to plant my flag in that take. Yeah. Okay. Don't tell me if I'm right or if I'm wrong, listeners, but that's where I think I'm going to be. I think what happens is... We don't bring her back for no reason. We find out that she gets her child back, but he's a French-speaking boy. <laughs> it's like, wait a second, that's and not my child. he wants to suck toes. <laughs> he's like, oh, oh, what are toes, mommy? <laughs> he's just a little Pepe Le Pew boy. <laughs> oh, mommy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's my prediction. Um... Bannatine wrote a letter, though, uh, to, to Ross. Yeah, he says, if I'm killed. <laughs> yeah, from... It's on you. Yeah. Carry that weight. From beyond the grave. Uh, yeah, if you got this, I'm dead, and I hate you for this. <laughs> Go jump off a cliff, Ross. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, and then, yeah, Ross has delivered the news to Ned that he's uh, he's dead. And Ned's like, you think an accident? And Ross is like, come on, dude. Are you that, <laughs> are you that dumb? No. Ned's like, I didn't do anything wrong, though, right? I'm not to blame. <laughs> the dynamite goes off in his pants. Oh, no. Not again. I did it again. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, the plot thickens that Ross knows there's conspiracy going on. So, someone's trying to pin something. Mm-hmm. And it's probably Hanson. It's probably Ralphie. Yep. And so they, they have... Who won't reveal to his daughter why he's in town. No. Even though we all know exactly why, he won't own up to it. Mm-hmm. Just to follow Ned around. And he keeps putting his putting his thumb down, trying to figure out what's going on with, with the War Leggings. Why can't I get this deal? We got to start talking about Honduras. We got business to get to. Mm-hmm. to. We get, let's, let's put an end to this. Yeah. And we see that it kind of hits a, a, a peak... At this party, mm-hmm. where the first thing, or do, do they see each other at the bar first? Yeah, the pub, and the stalker dude is there. I, he's got nothing else to do with his life right now. You know, he's in between jobs. This is like an extra. It's a glorified extra. Yeah. Did he ride in the cart with with Ralph, or did he get his own ride? To, that's not a short drive. Yeah, he was he was he was riding the horses. Who knows? Maybe that would make sense. But but we see that Ross is like, don't do anything. Leave him alone. Right. Leave him alone. And this party is just the perfect mix for something to go wrong. We already got a man spitting in front of Kitty. Uh, even speaking about how he doesn't appreciate black people, thinks less of them. I think it's Penrose. That's the Dr. Penrose yeah. guy, yeah. And Kitty's like, hey, what's up? <laughs> and he's like, humana, humana, I'm a, oh, okay. Damn, I'm racist. And it's like, yeah, you are, dude. Yes. Uh, but... Yeah, there's concern that Ned will challenge, you know, he'll he'll cause an uproar because this guy does not see eye to eye with anyone there. And uh Yeah, so 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 Ross is there and he he eventually talks to to Hanson and he's like, I know what you're you're doing. I know what's going on. You're trying to put something on my boy here. Mm-hmm. And and I think Ned also has some words with Hanson too, where he kind of threatens him. And it's like, hold back, Ned. He's a hothead, you know. Yeah, he's like, how'd you feel about how'd you feel about that pamphlet? And he's like, it was awfully one sided, dude. Yep. Don't make me to speak my piece. Mm-hmm. And so Ross is just like, you know, my friend here, he's a little bit crazy. I'm not too sane myself. And then just knees <laughs> because he can't accuse Hanson of murder. He knees him in the stomach. And he's like, this man is guilty of murder. He knows he he got banned. And the whole party's like, oh my god. And then. Saved by the mine implosion. Yeah. 
He just walks away. Right. I mean, also Ross had his, his foot on Bannatine's foot, so that, that's that. Uh, you know. Uh, not Bannatine is dead. Ralph's foot. Uh, yeah, on on Ralph's foot. Hanson. Because he's accusing him of Bannatine's demise. Anyway, so that's on Ross. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, they they get out of there because there's that blast, and. I mean, they take care of the rest of the stuff like we said. Yeah, he, he's he's the hero there, and Hanson. He's even though is it uh, Hanson suggests that that Carrie takes the credit. Yeah, because you know, or that George takes the credit. Yeah, because they save the people. They say, well, if if this if people don't know it was Ross, you can say it was you. Mm-hmm. And I think it uh, was it Hanson then says says by the end of the episode like. I got other business to attend to elsewhere, man. I gotta go. Cecily, let's go home. Yeah. Cecily, like, I'm having fun hanging out with with this man. (laughs) Nope. You're leaving. Yeah. We're not closing any deals while I'm here. We even get Ralph uh, talking to Demelza at the party, too, you know, like, in a horrible, in a a derogatory manner where he's like, do not find, uh, where was it? He's talking to Demelza and Kitty, where he's, yeah, that's where he brings up the Honduras compared to Cornwall, where it's like, isn't it a little chilly here for you? You know, what are you doing here? Mm-hmm. And yeah, Ned's like, come on, bro. So, yeah, that's just a simmer on the surface. I, I thought it led to a more cathartic moment with Ross than I recalled in the episode, but no, not really. No, yeah, the rest of the episode goes right into this mine implosion. So I mean, uh, Ross is bathing Demelza, though, at the end, and she's wondering if like everything yeah. is her fault. And he's like, nah, it was bound to happen. This Wickham guy, you know, we, we just got to keep in mind what he said about what we did may be treasonable, you know? <laughs> he's like, yeah, no big deal. And, and Ned is what will do a set, if anything. So we just got to keep him on a tight leash. Let's see if they could do that. What a, what a good guy, Ross, just washing his, his wife there, keeping her clean. Oh, yeah, yeah. Good guy. She married up. Yep, <laughs> that she did. And... I think that's this week on, on Poldark. That is. Well, there was all a little one last note. Did you see there was a the talk about continuity of places in town? Did you see there was a plaque for Captain Henshaw at the mine? Oh, really? That we saw in the beginning. Oh, that's great. I was like, oh, good. Thank God. Thank God. Yeah, don't forget about him. R.I.P. A lot of graves we don't see, but Henshaw gets his due. Yep. This is a solid episode. There was a lot going on. Um, the pacing was all over the place, but I think it was yeah, a pretty solid episode. Yeah, I was a big fan. I liked it a lot. My favorite one so far, I guess, of the three. Mm-hmm. Ross kicked a guy and kneed him in the stomach, yep. called him a murderer. <laughs> Ned had an Indiana Jones jump. I wish Ned, Ned just ate it and just died. But the visual effects during that scene left a lot to be desired, where they do the classic thing of keeping it so dark you can't really tell what's going on so they can hide the budget. And like wiggle in the edges of the frame. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I enjoyed this week as well. It was pretty fun. So we got, yeah. we got power rankings, though. Indeed, indeed. You want to start this week? Yeah. Uh, well, going down to number three, we got Wheel Plenty. It collapsed. It's not great. More like Wheel, not so much. I mean, they even reference the fact that so many people have lost their jobs now on top of this, too. So, like, what are they to do? And mm-hmm. Ross is already kind of stressing, like, I don't know if we have enough you know, availability to give out work at this point right now. Mm-hmm. So. Well, the little kids can find work sure. there. <laughs> Picking up the rubble. My my number three going down is Uncle Carrie because this guy, mm. 
This guy stares death right in the face. Yeah. His crazy nephew sh- shoots him point blank. Thank God he misses. Yeah. And also, he's the one who's in charge of this rescue job, which Uncle Carrie is never truly one of these people that seems inhuman. Mm-hmm. He's very profit forward, but he's not one of these total pieces of trash that's like doesn't think about human life. And now all of a sudden he's single handedly in charge of this warligan empire. And he's like, Okay, how do I handle this? Yep. He 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 just he doesn't really care. And and, and for that reason, well, I got George at number two, <laughs> actually. Okay. Because... Uh, George is losing his faculties. He has a rough episode of being tortured for, for most of it, which is great, actually. It's actually mm-hmm. nice to see George get a little bit of uh, some taste of his own medicine. Comeuppance? Uh, yeah. Um, but at least he gets his act back together a little bit by the end of the episode. So, we got George at number two. Okay. Well, I got the minors at number mm. two. Because 14 make it out, but 16 don't. Hard times. Hard times indeed. There's hard times, and, and and we see these people are complaining. There's there's revolution is afoot here in Cornwall between these people speaking against the Poldark mine when the Poldark mine is trying their best to provide education, wages, um, decency as far as not letting twelve year olds work, mm-hmm. and if they're so desperate for for money and to provide for their families, they go to the wheel plenty and they die, or it, they're maimed. So. It is not good and plenty there at all. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, number one, I got Uncle Kerry. Just can't, trying to keep George in line this whole week, getting fired at, uh, losing the mine also, having to hand over money to Jeffrey Charles. It's just a bunch of frustrations. He can't even close the deal with Hanson this week either. Uh, so I thought he was going to die. Yeah. I really thought he was dead. It's not a good week to be carried. this this... Because what, what year did it, season five? 2019? So, like, Game of Thrones is still kind of in the consciousness. And I say, if there's one character they can just off mm-hmm. in a shocking fashion that doesn't really affect the plot, it's Uncle Carrie. they got to stay true to the books also, in case he's still around. I heard that they don't stay true to the books. That this season is totally freestyling. Okay. That's what one of our emailers said. Okay. Well, I mean, I don't know if Uncle Carrie is still alive, though, when the books come back to the timeline. That's true. That's Yeah, we'll see. Well, I got George at number one because this guy is tortured. Mm-hmm. He leeches are put on him. He's his visions are like the most emotionally draining visions of all time. It's his wife with his his worst enemy. Yeah, <laughs> talking about like, what's up, bro? You want to talk to me? And then he escapes this this these shackles, mm-hmm. and he goes and his son is hanging out with that very same worst enemy. Yeah, and then he tries to take his own life. It's very it's a rough week for George. Like we said, it's easy to sympathize with him this this go around. His nightmares are real. Uh, Ross is yeah t- taking over his life. Um, Dave, well then, who's going up for you? Number three going up. Imagine you're a little boy, and no one's watching you, and you get to go live. <laughs> and not only do you get to wander around, you meet children your age, and you get invited to a party. And this guy is your uncle, and he looks a lot like you. And you get to hang out with your stepbrother. It's Valentine. This boy has a great, fun week. It's baby's day out for Valentine. It's a boy's day yeah. out because he's, he's got to be four or five or however old he's supposed they to be. They need to put a leash on that boy. He's up to no good. Yeah, Bessie needs a leash, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, at number three, I got Dwight. This guy is now you know working at this hospital. He's got a new, nice plum roll. He helps save George there. 
Uh, he helps to save a bunch of people that are dying in the mine. Bunch of W's this week for for Dwight. All right, that's that's good good one for him. Mm-hmm. Number two, I got I got Morwenna. Okay. She little does she know she's getting tricked into being a teacher mm-hmm. and a caregiver. And I think this is one of those situations where Morwenna has been been stepped on so much in this show that. The idea that she is softening, it's like Jurassic Park with Alan Grant. They're putting these little kids in front of her. It might change her opinion on having a future with kids. Also, she comes face to face with her, you know, terrible husband's mother, mm-hmm. holds her own, and she comes face to face with Rosina, who yeah. has every right to slap her. And Rosina comes in and says, Can I have some milk? And she gives it to And her. she says, Yes. Yep. Well, at number two, I got Ned. This guy is a risk taker. He's a shot caller. He's a baller. I mean, this guy goes for it. He makes leaps that he can't make. He's, you know, threatening Hanson. Uh, he's blowing stuff up left and right. But, uh, you know, he really mm-hmm. comes through with saving those, those lives in the mind there. So big up to Ned for, for pushing Ross in the, some directions he needed to be this week. That makes sense. That's a good one. Yeah. Well, similarly, at number one, I got a tie between Ned and Ross. Yeah, I got Ross at number one. Because these guys are, are kicking people and jumping over things and mm-hmm. taking risks. And, and Dwight, the fact that Dwight kind of links Ned's recklessness to Ross, he's like, look, as long as Ross isn't buying in all the way, I think it's telling that Ro- there's someone out there that's wilder than Ross. And I think these two are... Two peas in a pod right yeah. now. Yeah, they're, they're like a, a, a Tango and Cash type of cop duo, these two. I would watch that. <laughs> yeah, just them, just go back to the Revolutionary War. I'd watch the prequel. Um, just bad cop, bad cop. Yeah, yeah. And there's also the line where, is it Kitty talking to, to, to Mel's about the, the scar? Yeah. It's like the Dark Knight. They say, yeah, you want to know how he got those scars? Mm-hmm. And Demel's like, I, I do, actually. Uh, but... Yeah, congrats to, to to Ross this week though. He saved a lot of lives, and then he also need a man. Oh yeah, stomach. he did absolutely. Then <laughs> doesn't care. He also took his, in his actual child uh, Valentine into his home with, without anyone his boy. Yeah, <laughs> anyone saying a word, and he got Jeffrey Charles paid as he wanted after a couple of weeks of that. Look at that big one. Yeah. So that's this week of Pull Dark Dave. Have you been watching anything else? Uh, I watched a few movies. Okay. Uh, nothing. Some stuff for our movie club. Yep. Uh, some stuff on my own, and more perfect match. That's all I gotta say. I'm really not, not too much else. It's been a busy week. Yeah. F- firmly in that perfect match zone as well, Dave. Catching up on that. <laughs> Just need the dating shows to take my mind off everything. Yeah, and it's not that I don't want to watch things. Like I need to finish Andor because isn't Mandalorian this weekend? It's tomorrow. Or, or oh, for yeah, listeners, yeah, yesterday see? or so. It's uh, March first. Yeah. So I, I was gonna try to do uh, Andor before Mandalorian, and I have one more for. We were on a movie club together, as I've just said. I got one more movie to watch for that, so I think I'm gonna have to pause on that. But maybe tomorrow I'll watch. I kind of Mandalorian. Don't have the time for Mandalorian right now. It's coming back at an awkward time. It is. Like I mean, Last of Us isn't even done yet, and we still got. I mean, there's two Pedro Pascal shows on TV. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is also a pretty good show, too, uh, if people are into that. 
yeah, I'm going to wait till it's it, over and just enjoy it. It is eerie to hear literally Mando's voice, <laughs> but coming from a per- person. It, it's, it is strange. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, you, you can wait. But Okay, cool. Aside from that, though, I think we can wrap it there. And thank you again to all the listeners for yeah. supporting us through these five years. If you want to subscribe to us on Patreon, you can do that and get some bonus content. You can also, if you're feeling in your heart, leave us a five-star rating review on iTunes if you so choose. Uh, or Spotify. Yeah, you, don't, you don't need to donate donate all this wonderful money to a good cause to make us happy. All you can do is give us five stars. Uh, that's all we ask for. But Help us out. Y- y'all are great. And you can always hit us up at lordsgrantham at gmail.com, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, and you can find our whole library on uh, our Podbean website. You know, we're on Instagram too. So mm-hmm. you know where to find us, and we're here. Thank you. Yeah.